Young women have been growing up with an indoctrination of what womanhood is and what it should be. They've been taught everything that is in direct opposition to the Word of God. Young women who want to be different from the world are rare, but they are real. On this Rare But Real podcast, Audrey Brogy will often be joined by her daughter, Grace Anna, and her daughters-in-law, Maureen, Kesset, and Marilyn, who desire to be discerning in a day when everything seems to go against God's design. Join them in the journey of becoming rare but real. It takes courage and conviction. And now, Audrey Brogy. Hey there. Today on the podcast, I want to talk about sadness. You know, over the years, I have experienced deep sadness in my life at different times. And in fact, right now, I'm experiencing that. My brothers and sister and I are grieving because we just lost our mother. She died on December the 27th. The pain, you know, is so great, even though we know she lived a long, full life, even though we know she is happy and with her Savior, and so many people who reached heaven before she did, she is great. And even though we understand the brevity of life, and even though we understand the theology of life and death, none of those things ease the pain, at least not right now. You know, we loved her, we enjoyed her, and we've never known a time in our lives without our mother, and that is hard. So my heart is so sad. And over the course of my life, I I have experienced so many different kinds of emotions. I've experienced love, hate, fear, depression, joy, bitterness, anger, jealousy, everything, (laughs) and everything in between. I've seen times in my life when I've let my emotions control me, when I have lived by my feelings rather than bringing my feelings under control and living by what I know is right. I have at times thought, said, or done wrong things based on how I felt, and even times when I didn't even care whether my feelings were accurate or whether they were justified. If I felt a certain way, I just responded in a certain way because I felt like it or I didn't feel like it. Well, I've learned over the years that God doesn't want us to live by our feelings. Our feelings so often can delude us. They can trick us. They can lull us. They can deceive us. They can cause us to react and respond in all kinds of wrong ways. Yet, even though our feelings can trip us up, we have to remember that God created us with deep emotion. Sadness is a real emotion. It is part of being made in His image. We are created to feel things deeply. The thing we have to understand that I have to understand is how to deal appropriately with my emotions. And of course... um, You know, as I talk about the emotion of sadness, there's so many reasons that we feel sad. You know, I remember one time reading an an article in the news about a little two-year-old and what had happened to that little two-year-old, and it made me very sad. I feel sad when people go through tragedy or when they lose people that they love. I feel sad. Just like right now, when um, my mother died, and other times in my life when my father died, when my little granddaughter died, I feel sad when circumstances and people disappoint me. I've learned a lot about sadness and how to handle it from a woman named Hannah. Now, God has ministered to my heart through her life. 
He has often reminded me of her, especially when my heart is very, very sad. I know some of you who are listening to this podcast, you're probably very familiar with her and her story, but for so many of you who listen to this podcast, it may be the first time that you really meet her and get to know her, and I want you to get to know her, and I want to be reminded of her life, and that is why I'm doing this podcast on her life right after the death of my mother. You know, God has written not just to give the facts of this woman's life, but he also wants us to see the deep sadness of her life and to be encouraged by how she handled it. She experienced deep grief, which can probably be best described as brokenness. Yet in her emotion, somehow she was able to come to the place where she was able to think biblically about her circumstances about her sadness and then thinking biblically about it caused her to speak biblically about it and that in turn led her to act biblically and I don't know about you but I have learned over the years so much from her life and I want to learn even more from her life as I'm walking through such an incredibly painful time in my own life. You know, Romans 15 verse 4 says this, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, I could give you some kind of cultural message and a few diversions or worldly tips to help you with sadness, or I could go scrounge around on the internet or or read worldly things of how people handle their sadness but i know that nothing can give me no, no one nothing can give me anything better than the word of god because that's what god wants he wants us to learn from his word he wants to instruct us through the things that happen to real people from the scriptures why that romans verse just told us that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And God wrote these things down so that we might have hope. And I can't offer myself anything better than that. Because here's the thing, God is the hero of Hannah's story, and he wants to be the hero of our stories. No matter how sad or how much we're grieving in our own lives, God wants to encourage us And give us hope. Some of us may be in situations right now that cause us to believe that we just can't go on or that life is too hard and that our feelings of brokenness will never change. And even thinking about that makes us sad. Now, I know this kind of pain, whether it's physical or whether it's emotional or whether it's spiritual. And Hannah went through bitter, sorrowful years when her heart was constantly sad and broken. But she did an amazing thing. She gave her broken heart to the Lord. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, some of you may right now have some deep sadness in your heart, as I do right now. As I am recording it, I'm having this deep sadness in my heart. But some of you who are listening may not be sad today, but believe me, someday you will be sad and you will need the truth of this podcast 
And to give you a little background on the life of Hannah, she lived as a physically barren woman at a time when the nation of Israel was experiencing spiritual barrenness. Hannah lived during the close of the period of the judges, just before the time of monarchy, beginning with Saul as king. And this was a time of spiritual darkness and a time of spiritual corruption. Israel, who were God's people, were consumed with wandering away from him. And of course, with Hannah and and Hannah's case, because of all of this, the men in her life were weak and they were not leading well. The final verse of Judges summarizes what Israel was like in that day. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it was during this bleak time that God gives us the story of Hannah. And she was a woman much like you, much like me, those of us just living an ordinary life in a day when it seems that there's no king, when everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes. But God took notice of Hannah, and he takes notice of us. In 1 Samuel, God unfolds the details of her life, and right away he shows us her heart of sadness. Right away he shows it to us. 1 Samuel This is how it begins. Now, there was a certain man from Ramathiam Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Epaphramite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now it's right in this, these first two verses that we learn that Hannah's husband was Elkanah. He lived in the city of Ramah in the hill country of Ephraim, which is about five miles north of Jerusalem. And although he lived in the territory of Ephraim, Elkanah was of the priestly tribe of Levi. And Hannah was one of his two wives. And y'all know this was not God's design. If you know your scripture, you know from Genesis. It was one man, one woman. That's what God wanted. In the beginning, he created one man for one woman and one woman for one man. But during times of great spiritual wondering of God's people, often they just adopted the sins of the culture and sin becomes prevalent even among those who claim to be believers. And and of course, we can compare this to today. In our nation today, we have great divorce and remarriage among true Christians, not just unbelievers, but among believers, rebellious children among God's people, adultery among God's people. These things, all of this um, reflection of the world are not God's fault. They are the They are the result of God's people living in disobedience to God's standard. And through our living in disobedience to God's standard, we bring pain into our own lives and pain into the lives of others. And that's what Elkanah did. Though he was of this priestly tribe, he took two wives against God's design. And through his sin, he brought great pain into Hannah's life. Now, most people say that Elkanah probably married Penina because Hannah was barren. And the reason is because Hebrew couples really wanted children. They understood that children were a blessing from God. And like Abraham and Sarah, if the wife was barren, the husband would take a second wife in order to have children. It was kind of like a forcing of God's hand to give um, what he had withheld. 
that was what was done in those days. It wasn't right. It was wrong, but it was done. Like thinking my wife can't give me offspring, so I'll get another wife. And of course, today we have modern versions of the same kind of thing. It happens today. Yes, we go against God's design to try to make something happen that God has not given to us. Now, God had his reasons for withholding children from this couple. Whenever God withholds something from us, no matter what it is, he has good reason for that. We don't know the ways of God. Sometimes God withholds things from us completely because he has something else in mind for our lives. Sometimes he wants us to wait so that we can see his hand more clearly. Other times God says yes so quickly, almost as if he were just waiting for us to ask. But whatever he does is for his glory and for our good. But so often, so many of us aren't happy with the ways of God. We want what we want, and we want it now. We want it yesterday, even. And we somehow think that if God really loved us, He should give us what we want exactly when we want it. But God's heart is to grow us up, and He wants to grow us up to the point where we trust Him no matter what the circumstances are in our lives. You know, a number of years ago, I was reading the journals of Ann Judson, the wife of Adoniram Judson, who was a missionary to Burma. And on the ship on the way to India, she recorded these words. We found it exceedingly hot the first time we crossed the equator. When going round the Cape of Good Hope, we had rough, rainy weather for 20 days. I never knew till then the dangers of the deep. I never felt before my entire dependence on God for preservation. Some nights I never slept on account of the rocking of the vessel and the roaring of the winds. Yet God preserved us. He enabled us to trust in him and feel safe. Surely we have every reason to confide in God and leave it with him to dispose of us as he pleases. You know, this is the lesson that Hannah would learn and that I'm learning. Every reason to confide in God and leave it with him to decide. Verse 3 says, Now this man Elkanah would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, And Phineas were priests to the Lord there. So they were a church-going family. That's what we're seeing. And then verse 4 says, And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. And of course, this tells us that Penina not only had one child, but she had many. He would give portions to Penina and all her sons and her daughters. So Hannah not only has to bear the shame of being barren, but she has the constant reminder of her husband's other woman, her husband's other wife, and all the children that she bore to him. Verse 5 says, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. So what we're seeing here is that Elkanah provided for Penina and her children. Yes, he gave them portions, but he gave Hannah this double portion because of his deep love for her. And we might wonder as we're thinking about this and as we're looking um, at it, we might wonder double portions. If he really loved her, he wouldn't have taken a second wife. But you know what? Men are sinners. They do wrong things. And sometimes the pain that we as women experience in this life are the direct result of their sins and not 
not ours. Sometimes our men know they've caused us pain. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they care, and sometimes they don't. In Hannah's story, however, God focuses on Hannah, not Elkanah. He pulls our attention away from her husband and onto God's personal dealings with Hannah. In fact, I believe God wants to do that in my life. He wants to pull my attention away from my husband so often and deal with me because whatever Elkanah said or did at this point wouldn't help her anyway. Elkanah couldn't do anything about Hannah's real problem. Only God could do that. And I think about this so often how I as a woman sometimes want my husband to fix something that only God can fix. And many times they try. I mean, even with this hurting of my heart right now, my husband can help me. He can hug me. He can pray with me, but he can't take away the sadness. He can't fix it. And so often, you know, people think food will help, just like Elkanah, double portions. So not only would she be barren, you know, he he wanted her to eat. Sometimes our men think taking us out to eat will make the problem go away or flowers, a new dress or whatever. And sometimes those things do help. But when it's a deep problem in the heart, when it's a deep sadness of the heart, only God can minister to it. I mean, think about it. When your heart is grieving, so many of those things don't really matter anyway, because those things cannot meet the deepest needs of our hearts. And again, when my mother died, my heart hurt so badly, nothing helped. But little acts of kindness brought some inward joy. It almost gave a reprieve for just a brief moment. And I remember telling someone in those early days, although they're still very early days, anything that could make me smile was so refreshing. Even thoughts about my mother in this last year, if if things she said or did, that was refreshing when I thought about it. And please understand, even as I say these things, I'm so happy for my mom. I just miss her. Now, at this point in Hannah's life, she obviously thought the real need of her heart was to have a baby. But what we will see and what I see through this is that her real need was intimacy with God. And I know that's my real need. God used the sadness of her infertility to drive her to his heart. And God will use whatever it takes. Whatever is nearest and dearest to our hearts, God will use that. Verse 6 says, her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So Hannah's situation was difficult all by itself. Even if Penina had been very kind and very sympathetic, even if she had been a friend to her, but Penina was an irritant. She was a provoker, the kind of woman who took great delight in Hannah's pain and in hurting Hannah. And of course, even that makes you, your heart really go out to Hannah because this was in her own home. Her rival was not only having all these babies right in front of her with her husband, but she was irritating Hannah, making fun of her, not just one time. The scripture tells us it was year after year, verse seven, and it happened year after year. Often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. I mean, that is awful. And at this, and at the center of Hannah's life was this barrenness, 
issue. It was consuming her to the point that she wept and she wouldn't eat. With every birth of Penina's children came a fresh reminder that Hannah couldn't have children. And if you've ever been barren for any length of time, you know that there's nothing like the birth of other people's babies to remind you of your own pain. And it's not that you're not happy for them or happy for these little babies being born. It's it's just a reminder that you don't have that baby. Just another baby announcement can cause sadness. And if it's left unchecked, can cause bitterness. But for true believers, we check that. We want our hearts to be right before the Lord. And in Hannah's case, it wasn't just announcements of yet another woman's pregnancy. It was her husband's other wife. So put yourself in Hannah's shoes. Elkanah wants another baby. So he and Penina get together. Then the news from Penina, I'm pregnant again. And it's the sorrow in Hannah's life that would not go away. This constant reminder. And it happened even when she was going to worship the Lord. That's what the scripture tells us. On the way to the temple. That was a painful place for this woman. You know, in spite of Hannah's feelings and in spite of her pain, she kept going to the house of the Lord. Her sadness had an intense effect on her. She continually wept and she wouldn't eat. Verse 8 says, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And notice, In this one verse, he asks four questions. First, he says, why do you weep? I mean, of course, he should know why she's weeping. And then he says, why do you not eat? He should know why she's not eating. And then he says, why is your heart sad? He should know why her heart is sad. She couldn't hide any of these things. God is telling us what she was like. You know, the verse in Proverbs 15, verse 13, it says this, a joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. We know that Hannah's spirit was broken, and it was obvious to her husband, even though he's asking her these questions. And we know because he's asking these questions, he obviously cares about her. And the, but his fourth question reveals, though, that he's noticing her sadness. He really doesn't understand the depth of her pain because he says, am I not better to you than 10 sons? Now think about it. Hannah was barren. Her husband had another woman. This woman had lots of children. This woman was mean. This woman was mean not just once, but year after year. And to top it all off, Elkanah thinks that he is the answer to Hannah's sadness. I mean, think about it. Hannah's heart was bleeding all over the place. And she really had no one who fully understood her, not even her husband, And of course, you know, we might think that Elkanah's words were thoughtless and self-focused, maybe. But in reality, if we're honest, we can see that he's only trying to help. You know what? Many people say the wrong things when someone is going through grief. And sometimes the temptation is to get angry with them. It just is. Because you're in so much pain and someone says something so thoughtless or so flippant. But we can't get angry with them. Most of the time, they just don't know what to say. And so they say something that's not very helpful. And so in Elkanah's defense, I've learned that the meaning of that Hebrew word for better, when he says, am I not better than 10 sons, was often used to 
talk about how she's secure, that she will be taken care of. And so in probably in his mind, he wanted to assure Hannah that if he should die, she would have security, even more security than 10 sons could provide. So in those days, you know, if a woman became a widow, her only source of security in her old age would be through her sons. They would take care of her. So maybe he thought the source of her sadness was, or part of the source of her sadness maybe was worrying about her old age. So for whatever reason, Elkanah probably didn't know the real reason. I don't know. But we can learn some things from this. I mean, I'm learning not to react to my own husband's statements. Now, he's not said anything hurtful at all during this time of grieving or other um, times of grieving. But at the same time, you know, anybody in our lives can say something or they're trying to help us and we may not perceive it that way. Because when our emotions are raw, when our feelings are so tender, we don't always perceive how they're trying to help us in the way that they intend it. Maybe they're trying to be logical with us, like it appears here with Elkanah, that's what he was doing. He's saying, you know, you have security, <laughs> you know. I don't, I mean, he's saying, I mean, he's, this passage kind of reminds me that so often when our feelings are tender, we don't want to hear about logic. You know, we don't want to hear that. But so often that's exactly what we need. We need to get down to business. We need to look at the reality before us. And I think about this sometimes, how men and women often think so differently. And here in the scripture, God's giving us a real example of this, because Elkanah rightly recognizes that Hannah's heart is sad. And like a man will often do, he tries to console her logically. Verse 9 says, Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And it's interesting to notice her response to her husband or her lack of it. Hannah, for her part, really didn't respond to Elkanah. You know, when he said those things to her, she didn't lash out at him. We don't see any of that. She, at least by this example that God shows us, just goes deeper to the heart of God. That's exactly where God wants Hannah to be, because he's the only one who can really meet that lonely, sad places, the grieving place of her heart. And Hannah, so Hannah doesn't answer Elkanah, at least not verbally, or at least it's not shown to us in scripture, but she obviously takes his words to heart because the scripture tells us that she ate. She drank. And practically speaking, sometimes when we least feel like eating, we ought to. You know, on the day that my mother died, my son Jordan and his family were still here. My whole world stopped when I got that phone call. All I could think about was getting to mama, even though she was already gone. I was like, I didn't know what to do. I just, I just. I don't really know what all I did that morning. It's like kind of a fog. But I remember at some point taking a shower, and I got my things together, and Carl drove me to Florence. I just wanted to be with Mama, even though I know I couldn't be with Mama. But on the way, as we were in the car, I got a text from Maureen, and and her text said something like this, you know, have you eaten? Make sure you're drinking. Make sure you're staying hydrated. And then she reminded me how I already felt bad emotionally. And then she told me that, you know, grief takes from you. 
And then she reminded me that you don't want to add a headache because you're dehydrated or hungry. You just have to keep going. And I knew that she knew what she was talking about. She even said, like, I don't want to be your mom. And then I said, you can be my mom because mine's gone. And so think about it. When many women are sad of heart, like Hannah, they don't eat. And it's not because they're fasting over their problem. It's because we're consumed with our own emotions. It's like we're living by our feelings. Elkanah could not go back and undo his own sin, but he did care about his wife. She had to get past this pain in her life. And though he could not undo past sin, he could do the right thing now, and he could encourage his wife to do the right thing now. And sometimes that right thing can be just as simple as eating a good meal or getting some exercise, even if you don't feel like it. I mean, I think about after, you know, a few days, um, you know, after the funeral, and I came home for one night before I had to go back, and I remember my son Grant just saying, saying, Mom, you need to lift, I thought, I don't want to lift. But he said, Mom, you you need to. Just like Maureen had said, you need to drink. You need to eat. He's saying, you need to lift. He said, and then my daughter, Grace Anna, said, you will feel so much better afterwards. Just do it. And my son, Jameson, reminded me of the same things. I mean, my kids here were providing strength for me. And so me being emotionally drained, you know, on the verge of having an intense headache and wanting to wallow in my own misery. But my children are saying, no, eat, drink, get some food on your stomach, exercise, get some fresh air. You know, and sometimes we're overexhausted from worry and we just need to get a good night's sleep. So the scripture tells us, so Hannah ate and drank. Now, Eli, the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Her sorrow has not gone away, but she can function. She's doing the next thing. And we find her at the entrance of the temple area and we see her heart of brokenness. She's past sadness. She's now broken. Verse 10 says, and she greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. This woman is broken before God. And it's okay to be broken before God. It's okay to weep bitterly before him. It's okay. And we need to be real and frank saying, this is so hard for me. My heart is breaking. And on my own, I would despair. But I believe God. I trust him. He will see me through. God is with us in our place of brokenness. He wants us to believe him. He wants us to live by faith and not by our feelings. An example of this kind of faith, I'm always reminded of this. It was found on the wall of a concentration camp, and on it a prisoner had carved these words. I believe in the sun, even though it doesn't shine. I believe in love, even when it isn't shown. I believe in God, even when he doesn't speak. Y'all, it's okay to cry and be sad. I often say tears are normal and you can't fix normal. But we do have to get up and do the next thing. Like Hagar. Remember when she was wandering in the wilderness with her son? I mean, the scripture told us how the when the water that you know Abraham had given her and when it was gone, she put her boy under one of those bushes and she went off and she sat down. And she was a little ways away from him, and she thought, I can't watch my boy die. And as she sat there nearby him, she began to just sob. 
And God heard the boy crying. That's what the scripture tells us. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. And he said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. And then he tells her to arise, lift the boy up and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. I mean, God heard Hagar sobbing. He heard the boys sobbing and he hears our sobbing. God wants us to pour out our hearts to him. Perhaps we're greatly distressed today. Maybe you are like I am. Perhaps we're experiencing a barrenness in our own lives right now. Perhaps our hearts are sad. Perhaps we are burdened with the weight of something we never dreamed we would face. Hannah is a true friend. Hannah had been sad for years. Hannah's heart was truly broken. Her soul was desperate. Yet in her sadness, she took her broken heart to the only one who really understands, the only one who could really meet her deepest need. And she prayed and she wept before the Lord. And that's what we learn about her too. Not only did she weep, but she prayed. Verse 11 says, and she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. I mean, her prayer is so beautiful. She recognized God as the Lord of hosts. That's what she says. The one who's over all, who's over the heavenly host, who's over the angels, who's over the armies of heaven. He's Lord over all the host of heaven, the stars, the sun, the moon, the galaxies. He controls everything. He's the sovereign Lord. And Hannah is recognizing his sovereignty over everything. He rules over everything everywhere. And he was not oblivious and uncaring about her situation. She's thinking, she's speaking, and she's responding biblically. And she recognized God's personal concern for her when she said, if you will indeed look on. I mean, she's asking God to investigate, to search her own heart, to examine her, to fully perceive what was going on in her life, to take notice of her. And it's one of the amazing things about God. He does look on upon our needs. He does take notice. I mean, it makes me think of Luke 18. You know, this that when um, Jesus was telling a parable to show that all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, there was a, in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said, now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, think about it. Hannah was broken before the Lord, crying out to him, and he was finding faith in her. And she was honest with God. She calls her situation affliction. If you will indeed look on the affliction, she's calling her sadness what it has become in her life, an affliction. 
And of course, we know from Proverbs, I think um, a verse in there says that all the days of the afflicted are bad, and it often seems that way. Pain in our hearts can affect our view of everything. I mean, listen to the words that David prayed in Psalm chapter 25. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies. For they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for thee. You know what? All of us are lonely at times. And sometimes we think that loneliness is a bad thing, even in our pain and affliction. And when we're we're so sad of heart, it's really a lonely place. People can minister to us in every single text that people sent me, every single um, words of comfort people offered on social media. That was balm to my soul. I appreciated it so much, but it didn't take away that deep heart loneliness. I mean, I spent time with my brothers and my sister, and they were the closest thing to mama that I had. And we comforted one another, but even that is not the same because you're still lonely of heart. You know, and sometimes we think, you know, we shouldn't be afflicted or we shouldn't have problems. Or if we do have problems, we think that God should straighten them out or he should just take that pain away right now. But he has lessons he wants us to learn. And sometimes we just don't learn them unless we're hurting deeply. And I don't know about you, but I want to think biblically, not unbiblically. You know, people who think unbiblically say things like this. He doesn't care. He doesn't love us. If he cared, he wouldn't have and fill in the blank. But that's just simply not true because the scripture says he does care. He does love us. And we all have troubles of the heart. God has told us that in this world, we will have tribulation. And many times these troubles of our heart are enlarged because life is hard. We live in this fallen world. We are distressed. We are troubled. We have enemies in this life. Sometimes we have many enemies in this life. And sometimes they will hate us with a violent hatred. And all of us have disappointments in this life. We've had disappointments and hurt in the past. We may be in the middle of disappointment and hurt today. And we'll be disappointed and hurt in the future. But the good news is that God takes notice of us. He cares for us. He is our very present help in time of trouble. But we must cry out to him in times of trouble. He's the one who can guard our souls. In fact, he wants to do that. He will deliver us. He will bring us out. He will be gracious to us. He walks with us through our troubles. He gives us peace. He gives us that peace that he says passes all understanding. But we must take refuge in him. And that's what we see Hannah doing here. God had purpose for Hannah's sadness. He wanted to teach Hannah that he is sufficient for every broken heart. And sometimes he allows our hearts to break so that we will run to him. I have come to believe that there are just some things I cannot learn unless I hurt deeply. And this I know for sure. Hurt, pain, sadness will either drive me to the heart of God or it will drive me away. But it's my choice. 
I don't have to live in and grieve as those who have no hope. I do not have to do that. I don't have to sin because of my hurt. I don't have to let my feelings or my sadness control me. If I let him, God will use every hurt, every sorrow, every difficult memory, everything for his great glory and my great good. And that was the journey of Hannah. And this is one of the greatest lessons from her life. I believe God wanted to take her to the heart of her pain for her good. He wanted to be the one to carry her through it, to get her to the other side of it. Have you ever felt pain so deeply that you thought you would never get to the other side? Listen, our pain may go on for a long time. I mean, it will. I mean, I still have so much pain in my heart over the loss of my dad and the loss of my granddaughter. In fact, it may go on for the rest of our lives on this earth, but it will not go on forever. God promises that that because even if it lasts the rest of our lives here on this earth, our lives here on this earth are not forever. You know, we'll be in heaven with him and he will take it away. You know, for, uh, Peter 5.10 tells me that the pain of life is the tool God uses the most to make us more like Jesus. He says this, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. All of us, if we know the Lord, if we want to be more like Christ, this is what has to happen. So God does allow. He brings the very, so many things and very things into our lives that will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish us and make us more like Jesus. So instead of trying to resist those things, we need to embrace those things. So yes, pain may be with us the rest of our lives here on this earth, but God will wipe every tear away because we are pilgrims on this earth. This is not our permanent home. You know, those words from Peter, I have taken to heart many times in my life. Now, some of us, you know, suffer greater hurts than others. But you know what? Hurts hurt. And we really can't compare it. Hannah had much to be grateful for. Her husband loved her. She was physically cared for. She had health. Yet God was still concerned with her sadness. Because anything that breaks and shatters the heart becomes the tool in God's hand to show us his love and his care and his tender mercy. Hannah was learning that no matter the pain, no matter the source of the pain, God makes no mistakes. He is sovereign. God does nothing bad. He is good. God is not the author of bitterness. He forgives. God is enough and God is worthy of her trust. And you know what else I learned from this passage? That God never once denied Hannah's affliction. He never once corrected her and said, you are overreacting. Get with it. And of course, there's something here for us. You know, even as we raise our children, our children go through very real pain. Maybe it's the loss of a pet or the loss that comes with moving away from a home that they loved. All kinds of losses. And many times we minimize their sorrow rather than walking them through it, faithfully getting them to the other side, bearing their burdens with them, helping them carry it, carry it and teaching them God's ways through it. 
God will multiply his truth in their lives when they are adults. They'll remember lessons they learned as children. I know I do. And Hannah recognized in her prayer that she belonged to God because she said, Oh, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant. I mean, she calls herself God's maidservant. She belonged to him. She was his. I mean, that's what she's telling him. That's what she's reminding herself and God of in her prayer. She's saying, she said, I'm your maidservant. And then she asked God to act on her behalf. She says, and remember me and not forget your maidservant. Please don't forget me. I mean, I thought about Joseph. Remember how he's thrown into prison after being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and how in prison he interpreted the cupbearer's dream, telling him that he would be restored to service. And, you know, Joseph then just asked the cupbearer, says, you know, please keep me in mind when when you're out, when it's well with you. Please do me a kindness. Talk to talk to Pharaoh about me and get me out of this. But the cupbearer, you know, was restored just as Joseph had told him. Yet that cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And people many times don't remember. People forget, but God never does. God never forgets us. He never forsakes us. He's the one who says in Hebrews thirteen five, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So even though it may seem like God has deserted you or forsaken you and that no one understands, the truth is he hasn't. We have to replace our wrong thinking with the truth from Scripture. Scripture is so good, y'all. Hannah Two is specific in her request when she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son. So she asked for a baby, but she not only asked for a baby, she asked for a son. She's very specific in her request, knowing that God can do whatever he wants. She prays very specifically. It's a request, not a demand. She's not demanding her rights to have a baby. She's sad that she doesn't have a baby. She's letting her request be made known to God. And if you notice, she's respectful to her husband throughout this. There's no recorded word of Hannah anywhere lashing out at those who quote unquote caused her pain. She didn't say, I have a right to have a baby, Lord. That's the least you could do since I have to share my husband with a cruel, hateful woman who keeps on having kids right in my face. You know, it's it says a lot about the character of Hannah. She respectfully petitioned God. She respectfully asked him. And finally, she yields her rights to God when she says this, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come to his head. So in this prayer, Hannah is acknowledging that if God grants her petition, her child belongs to him. She's making this vow, and it's very symbolic of her yielding her rights, even to her own child. She knows that child wouldn't belong to her anyway. This is her attitude. In her need, God brought her to see that children were not hers to claim. She didn't have a right to have children. And this vow that she's making is a Nazarite vow, a Nazarite Serve the Lord in a special way all the days of his life. He didn't cut his hair. He didn't eat or drink anything from the vine. He didn't touch anything dead. He was set apart for special service. So Hannah is basically saying, oh, God, if you give me a baby, I'll give him right back to you. And it's interesting to note. Think about it. I, I talked about it earlier that she was living in a day of weak men, weak leaders. And here Hannah's praying for a son, one that would turn out to be a prophet and priest, one that would make a difference, one who would be a real man. 
And so as she's praying, God is giving her a new perspective. God's purifying her heart and her motives because now as she sits at the temple doorpost, greatly distressed, God somehow reveals to her that should he choose to give her a child, the child would belong to him. You know, we don't have an equivalent of a Nazarite vow today, but our hearts should be like Hannah's as believers that if God, should God give children to us, we have to recognize that they belong to him. If God entrusts them to us, they we are stewards of them. He wants to set them apart to be greatly used of him, and we should do everything in our power to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's his command to us in Ephesians chapter 6. Of course, it's all over the scriptures. But maybe before her bout with infertility, she might might have been like many of us, wanting children to complete us or do for us or just because everyone else is having a baby. But her going through this infertility and the taunts of Penina and the intense sadness of her own heart, God brought her to a place of realizing his purpose for giving her a baby. I mean, you know, God wants to use any sadness in our hearts to bring us to a place of realizing his purposes. Verse 12 says, now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. I mean, think about this, y'all. Eli was God's representative. But he didn't know the difference here between a drunk woman and a woman pouring her heart out to the Lord. And we know from Scripture that Eli had problems of his own. And like Elkanah, he didn't understand the emotion of Hannah's heart. And it's no accident that these men are the two most spiritually important men in her life, her husband and her pastor. But God wants us to learn something here. You know, verse 14 says, Then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put your wine away from you. Or put away your wine from you, I think is how it's worded. Eli wrongly judged her. And I suppose that would have been enough to send many a woman into an emotional fit. I'll never go back to that to that temple. That priest offended me, but not Hannah. She shows great respect to this man as she explains her situation. Verse 15 says, but Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, which is a term of respect. I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Very respectful, very respectful. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. So just as Hannah had taken her husband's counsel to heart earlier, here she takes Eli's statement to heart. She saw in his statement the grace of God. Even though at first he misunderstood her, she still respected him as God's representative, and she left his presence with peace in her heart. Her circumstances had not changed. Penina hadn't changed, but Hina went her way. She went back to her family and she ate. Her face was no longer sad. Her face no longer revealed a sad heart. Why? Because she had an encounter with the Lord and she had an encounter with God's representative, Eli. Eli gave a message to her. I mean, that's what he did. He's giving a message for her heart. And now she would trust God regardless of the outcome. And that's what we have to do, y'all. 
Many of us are walking wounded. Our hearts are sad, yet because God has met us, we are at peace. We go on. We take the next step. We do the next thing. We're able to rest in God in the midst of our sorrow. I mean, there's a sense in which God uses our sorrows and our sadness to create within us a dissatisfaction with this world. I mean, think of it. If we could be ultimately happy here, having all our needs met, never experiencing any pain, having all our longings fulfilled, our hearts would never long for the Lord. God uses our sorrow and pain to show us that something is deeply wrong with the world and with us. And this prolonged pain in Hannah's life is the very thing, as I've said earlier, that drove her to the heart of God. And I want God to do that in my life. Prolonged pain in my own life has kept me near the cross. It's kept me near to the Lord. I know what he says in his word. He says, draw near to God and I will draw near to you. The constant reminder of sorrow is the constant reminder of the promises of God. Because one day he will wipe away every tear. He will mend every broken heart. He will right every wrong. And in the meantime, he offers peace that the world cannot give. And we can have joy that the world does not offer. He offers peace beyond comprehension. He is near. And I don't want to be one minute out of his presence. So the next thing we see from this passage is her heart of surrender. When verse 19 says, then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. God remembered Hannah, and Hannah remembered the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, and he may appear, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. And Elkanah Her husband said to her, do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Hannah had respected Elkanah, and now Elkanah respected her. She had concentrated time with her boy. She surrendered her life for the life of her son. Verse 24, now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord. I mean, think of it. She's still showing respect to Eli, the priest. As your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord for this boy. I prayed and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed again and she said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there's no one besides thee, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and with him actions are 
are weighed. I mean, think of it. Hannah spoke of the proud and arrogant who should be quiet. She recognized the Lord as the God of knowledge, that the Lord was watching and weighing all that was going on. He saw her affliction, those years of affliction. He saw the ones who wronged her. God is ever watching and weighing the actions and attitudes of men and women. He knows fully all they do, think, or say, as well as their motives. There's nothing hidden from him. She continues, the bows of the mighty are shadowed, shattered. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness for not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered against them he he will thunder in the heavens so here she's speaking about the lord thundering in the heavens against those who contend with him you know that phrase thunder against it's like the same phrase used of penina in her provoking and irritating hannah penina had thundered against hannah for years and god had noticed he vindicated hannah and he will thunder against all his enemies to the end of the earth that's what he says the lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. I mean, hear what Hannah's saying. God will raise up his king and his anointed. And, and if you know the scriptures, you know from the remainder of 1 and 2 Samuel that Hannah's son Samuel would anoint and appoint Israel's first two kings, Saul and David. David was the first who foreshadowed the greater son of David, the one who would come as the Lord's king and anointed one, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Her song of triumph. It was also a prophecy of the greater work that the Lord would do. She saw and she sensed that in her son, God was doing something far reaching and of great significance. Then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now Samuel, verse 18 was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. I mean, three times a year they went. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 20, Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their own home, and the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. These children were blessings, great gifts from God. They represented it, represented a visit from the Lord. Our children are great blessings from the Lord. They are visits from the Lord when God opens our womb. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. And this was, y'all, this was just the beginning of this great prophet of God. And it all started with a woman taking her brokenness to the Lord. You know, I have two things I want to share before I close out this podcast. First, I wrote a poem some years ago at a very sad time in my own life, and this is what I wrote. 
when my heart is sad, when my pain is great, when so much seems bad that my tears won't wait, when my eyes fill with sadness reflecting my heart, when my world fills with madness when I see a part. He protects me from much I don't understand, the depth of His love, the grace from His hand, His comfort so deep, as deep as His word, giving me sleep since I know He has heard. The God of all grace stands ready to share the tears on my face so I won't despair. He gives to the poor, the needy he hears. His word is so sure he calms all my fears. This life and its pain reminds me to trust the one who remains. Oh, how I must. He suffered much more than I'll ever know. He did it for me. I love him so. His cup, it was bitter, so filled with my sin. And mine is so light, yet I'm crushed from within. But he feels all my pain. He bled for me. He holds me so close. He wants me to see that he paid for my sin. He settled my debt. When he died on my cross, drenched in my sweat, his death brought me hope. He is my king. He rose from the tomb. This makes my heart sing. Though pain in this life makes my heart sad, my Savior is here. And that makes my heart glad. And one day he'll come and wipe all my tears. Maybe tomorrow, maybe some years. When my heart is sad, when my pain is great, I'll give him my heart and on him I'll wait. And then the second thing I want to share is that the Sunday after my mother's funeral on Saturday, my son Jeremy and his wife both sent the printed song from their church bulletin to me. I didn't know this song, and I've listened to it on repeat over and over and over. It's by Sovereign Grace Music, and these are the lyrics. Whate'er my God ordains is right, His holy will abideth. I will be still whate'er He does, and follow where He guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me, He holds me, that I shall not fall, and so to Him I leave it all. Whate'er my God ordains is right. He never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know he will not leave me. I take content what he has sent. His hand can turn my griefs away. And patiently I wait his day. Whate'er my God ordains is right. Though now this cup in drinking May bitter seem to my faint heart. I take it all unshrinking. My God is true each morn anew. Sweet comfort yet shall fill my heart. And pain and sorrow shall depart. Whate'er my God ordains is right. Here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet I am not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to Him I leave it all. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to Him I leave it all. Father, I thank you for allowing me to come on this podcast today. I didn't even know that I could do it. But I sensed that you wanted me to do it. And so here I am. I pray for women who are listening to this, who have gone through such great pains in their own lives, or who are in the middle of pain right now, who or who will be going through pain in this life. Father, we're so grateful for the cross. We're so grateful for the comfort that you provide. We're so grateful that you take notice of us 
and that you are here for us and that you promise that you never, ever, ever will leave us or forsake us. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this episode of Rare But Real, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. And share this podcast with friends. Follow Audrey on Instagram and Facebook at Mothering From The Heart. And listen to all her messages on the Search the Scriptures app.